welcome to another episode of the Single Girls Guide to Life, your weekly podcast to living your best single life in your 20s, 30s and 40s. I'm Chantelle Dyson, a single life confidence coach, helping single women to navigate single life from solo trips, living on your own and new to 2023. We're really delving in to getting back into dating. It's always been a popular topic for me. It's one that I'm fascinated by because of the psychology that's involved with relationships, but really bringing that getting back to dating program to you starting in 2023 the first cohort going through and there's only six spots a couple of those have already gone and it is only for a small group of people to begin with as the first people going through but other than that this podcast is here to help you navigate your single life and as we're in December as we're getting close to the end of the year it always starts to round up to what is really happening and reflecting on the year that's just been and the year to come along. Last week, I had you thinking about what you wanted your single life vision in 2023 to look like and started to let you question and encourage you to question all the things that are in your life, evaluating your character, your community and your courage to see which areas needed reflecting on, what you needed to learn about yourself and how to get confident going into 2023. This week, I want to talk about some of the things that I feel I've learned within the single life realm, the things that we learn and reflect on and that we want to leave behind in 2022 so that we can take the benefit of as we go into 2023. You should be doing this in your life anyway, looking at the lessons that you learned, whether it's from a single life context, whether it's in your career or anything else like that. Our lives are for learning and experiencing and Ideally, we wouldn't make the same mistakes that other people make. However, if that were the case, we would be able to read all the books of all the mistakes that people have otherwise made already and we would live faultless lives. The point is, unfortunately, that we don't really work like that. In our life, we have a sense of curiosity. We want to experience things for ourselves and we want to learn ourselves. So despite reading that someone did something and it didn't go well for them, we might still do that. It's the frustration, I guess, of being a parent to children when you try and keep them safe and you're telling them don't do that. And I don't mean like don't touch fire, although that, you know, it's an example of it. But this idea of, you know, don't do that. Don't argue back. It's going to get you more in trouble. Children have to learn the consequences themselves. Otherwise, they take your word for everything and they don't get to experience it in their life. And that is why no matter how many times you tell some children or other people what they should do, it's like when you give advice and someone doesn't take it and then they end up doing the thing that you said would happen if they didn't do it. You're frustrated because you knew it was going to happen, but they had to experience it for themselves. So whenever you're going through life, it's useful to Note down your lessons, your learnings from the year, because they're individual to you. They might seem, when someone looks at that list, obvious. This is the problem with self-help. I read a lot of self-help books for anyone that's ever seen on Instagram. You've seen the big bookcase that's rainbow coloured when it's in its best state. And there's also this little section of books here. I mean, I need to fill the rest of the wall up. But I now read some self-help books and it's useful because I'm reading them either from a new author in a different context um, or it's applied in a different way. You know, it's a leadership element or it is a relationship style one or it is about singles, whatever it might be. But at a certain point, I go, yeah, I kind of knew this already because when I first read these books three years ago, the concepts were all brand new to me. And it's like epiphany moments. It's life changing. Your mind is blown by so many ideas. And then you read a couple more 
and they're not that different. There are little nuggets that are specific to that person, their tale, but a good chunk of it is very similar. And people will go, why do you read those books? Why do you read the same ones? Because I like to see how different people have done it. I like the applications. And hey, just because you hear something again doesn't mean it's not worthwhile. Actually, it can remind you. Maybe you didn't take heed of it and pay attention to it the first time you listened. And actually, the second time around is more impactful. So for me, I was reflecting on the things that won't be brand new. They will be things that you've heard of before, but they're things to me that are lessons people have learned through the coaching programs or the things that have been most prominent, whether that's to me or to the people I've worked with throughout, whether that's through the Single Life Confidence program, the Sort Your Single Life Out program. Oh, that was one person right at the beginning of the year that went through that. They were my first program client that actually went through a specific program, maybe let's say. And uh, it's all kind of gone from there. It's what the conversations have been at Single Girls Club events. It's all those different things. And there are four of the biggest things I think that have been things that we collectively have learned or spoken about a lot and we should be leaving in 2022 to move on with in 2023. So let's get down to business with the very first of those ones. The idea of pleasing other people needs to be gone, especially ahead of 2023. No longer are you going to keep living your life to keep other people happy. This came up with one particular client when they were debating the idea around having a relationship and why they felt that they should. Now, prior to that part of the conversation, they had been very clear that they were kind of okay on their own and that family life and marriage wasn't for them. But then they were discussing further that they still felt like they should. And we explored this idea of where it was, despite everything that they just said and shared and been so confident with, they were then switching. Like the observation I made was that what they were now saying completely contradicted what they'd first started our conversation with. And I said, where is this difference coming from? Where is this conflicted idea of what, on the one hand, not really thinking anything of marriage and wanting to pursue that versus suddenly this whole, but I think I feel like I need to, I feel like I should. And it's uncovering where that comes from. And for this person, it happened to be a very traditional background that they had been raised in and the thoughts of their parents, particularly their father's opinion of what it would mean if if that person didn't get married and didn't engage in the idea of creating a family life and, and building it up in that way. And it goes to show us that, you know, these people don't mean ill harm. They just have a set of beliefs and a way that they see life as fulfilling and successful. And this is hard for that person because they're conflicted by their own ideas, not matching that to which their environment they grew up in supports and particularly someone that is dear to them and that they care about. They don't not get on with their father from what I gathered. It was a healthy relationship, but that didn't mean that that person agreed with everything their father believed would be the right thing for them. And this person was in conflict and it means getting over that because what the reality is for that person is that they know what they truly want to do, but they feel like they're going to be disappointing somebody else. And we have to get used to that. We have to disappoint other people in letting someone down for something that had been put in the diary because we're not feeling up to it from not living out a life that our parents expected of us. And the only reason they expected that of us is either because they genuinely think it's going to make us the happiest and they just need their sort of mindset around that change, or it's a life that they didn't have for themselves that they want you to have. Quite often, parents can project onto their children the life that they wish they had had and the life that they wish they 
could have been in. So they try and create that for their children. And it can lead to sometimes really good things happening, you know, developing particular routines. It didn't happen like sitting around a dinner table to have dinner. It can also lead to sometimes being too much because if you felt let down by your parents, you overcompensate for being there for your own children. And so in this case, that parent probably just wants the best or what they believe is the best for their child. When in actual fact, sometimes the best thing for for children is to let them be exactly who they are. And that doesn't matter if that child is five years old or 15 years old, 25, 35, 45. Some of our parents haven't detached from the idea that we're not mini thems, that we're not going to live out this life that they had planned for us and that we're not going to be a particular way just because they say so. This is about you living your own life as an individual. And so when we become parents, it's useful for us to bear that in mind later on. But it's also useful for us to remember now that our parents generally want the best for us, but that doesn't mean that they always communicate it in the best way and they don't necessarily create the space that is needed to do that. And so you wouldn't want to divorce your parents as it might be, but taking a step back from their influence over you and finding people that are going to encourage you based on what you want to do and your choices is important. You want that group of people. I was talking last week about community and making sure you've got the right people that accept you, that will bury the body with you and that kind of element. It's just a case of having those people around and they're not after you trying to please them. They're purely there to support you in your life and encourage you and cheerlead you on and you would do the same for them as they're exploring their life. So sometimes we have to let people down. And it does mean not going to events that you don't want to go to, family occasions. You don't have to go to them all, but they're family. This happened to me when I said I wasn't going to go to someone's birthday party within the family, but they always get you a present. It's blah, blah. I said, that's fine, but I had plans already booked and this has only just come up two weeks before. I had plans and I can't be there. I'm really sorry. That was it. That's how it has to be. That's a boundary. I'm not going to keep people pleasing. I had stuff to do. I was really busy. It wasn't like social. It was like work stuff that I wanted to get done. And if I didn't, it was going to have an impact. You can hear the tone in my voice that I'm still like bugged because I had stuff to do. Understand that. I can't just drop all my plans. Could I have compromised more? Maybe. But I just wasn't in the mood because I was focused on what I needed to do. So be it. You know, could I have done it differently? I could have. Am I happy with what I did? Yeah. Do I wish I'd done it any different way? Not really. It worked the way I wanted it to. So it worked out okay. It's about not pleasing people all the time. You don't have to. And you aren't responsible for how they feel in reaction. Okay. They might treat you differently later. You didn't come to my birthday party, so I'm not going to come to you. Okay. No worries. I might have given you three months advance warning. You're still choosing not to come. That's fine. The issue wasn't it was your birthday. The issue was that I already had plans, but no worries. You know, yeah, we just have to let go of people if they don't understand it. And mostly the people that get you and accept you will get why you sometimes can't come to things, you change your mind, etc. whatever it might be. Which brings me nicely on to the next one, which is in 2023, we need to get rid of holding on to relationships that no longer serve us. We feel an obligation to the people that have been around the longest when in actual fact, sometimes they aren't the right people for us anymore or not at this stage. Maybe they will come back later, but they might be away doing other things and have attention focused elsewhere and you aren't in alignment with that anymore. The things that matter to you in your life don't really matter to them and vice versa. And it means the common ground that was between you isn't there. Because situationally, it's gone, whether that's because you met them through work, through school, through some other experience. You're not now sharing that experience. You don't have that commonality. 
And then if they're off doing other things, traveling the world, and they're not even around, but you're at home and you're busy working on a business. Another really good one is if you are busy working on your career, but someone's out constantly socializing and things like that, that's a big conflict because you're probably working on habits for your life, getting your day ready. And they're looking at how they can buy nice new clothes, look a particular way. And that's fine. It's just a different set of values, but it doesn't bring you guys together in any particular way. And we feel this agony inside that we should be holding on to these people. And it's a shame that this person is disappearing out of our lives. When in actual fact, that is just life. We don't need to be clinging on to people. And there's nothing worse than when someone gives you a message to say, let's catch up and you want to catch up and you do, but it is just a very much a catch up conversation. And it's a lot of telling that person what's happened in your life and them telling you what's happened in theirs. But you haven't had enough day-to-day contact and you don't continue that regular contact between the next time you see them. And it always just feels like one big summary roundup of your life. And you don't really get to the bottom of anything because it's all surface level. Well, this happened. I've been here. I've been doing that. Works like this. This person's like that. Mum's okay. And it isn't then the conversations that go into depth of what's really going on. What's been the most difficult part of your year to date? What's the struggle with dating right now? How have you been getting on with X, Y, Z? It doesn't get down to that nitty gritty part because you're spending so long just catching up. And it is okay to phase these people out even more over time because you need room for the people that you are keeping in contact with. You need to build that network up. Again, something I spoke about in last week's episode is about finding the right people to surround yourself with that either encourage you in the things you are or actually help you to develop in the areas that you're looking to develop in and make the most of. And that means making space. We've only got a limited amount of time for people. doesn't mean you have to delete them on all socials, although in some cases it might be the most appropriate thing to do. It does mean not feeling obliged to go and see them. And it kind of links to the people-pleasing element, right? Because you feel bad if you say no. But if that person is not regularly there seeing you and if you're not both feeling the positive vibe towards going on, why would you put yourself in that misalignment if you don't want to do it, to have a phone call instead if you still want to catch up, but the effort of actually meeting up is too much. Or it's one of the ways to phase people out is to make excuses. I'm really busy at the moment. I'll get back to you with a date. And you don't. Some people might say that's cowardly. But from what I've read, it's, it's an official technique to have a little go to phase people out. And it can work. It can be people get the hint. It's a way of saying no. It actually came from the book, The Book of No. That was where I remember reading it. Delaying Tactics essentially, slowly phasing people out. And people do get the message. And it's not for any particular reason. That's why it doesn't feel right to do such a blunt cut off. But you can do it. I think I did this as an episode on friendship breakups a long while ago. They're normal. They happen. They often phase out more than they have a big ending to them. But as you go into 2023, let go of those people that aren't serving you, especially anyone that's holding you back. You can listen to last week's episode for me going on my little tirade about that. If someone's holding you back, actively from what they say and do they need to go if someone's not done anything they just you just don't know happen and you just don't so happen to be around them so much anymore then a slow phase out and an acceptance of the fact that it's not what it used to be anymore is okay completely justified and acceptable the next thing is not compromising on what you really want we shouldn't be compromising on what we really want within the constraints of the fact that you have a limited set of resources, time, money, and energy. Okay. So, okay. If you really want 
a six-bedroom house with swimming pool, you've got to compromise on that for the time being. I mean, arguably, you could try and find some sort of sugar daddy or find someone has got a lot of money, not someone that you love, but just someone that can facilitate that. You're compromising on a healthy relationship or a, a meaningful relationship for that. So be it, if that's what you really want. But chances are you don't want to do that. What I mean, though, is in the same essence, not compromising on things because of other reasons. So this could be not compromising on living your life in a particular way because of the, what the people around you say. So it comes back to the last two of people that say you can't do that. The amount of backlash I got, not backlash, but, you know, negativity around quitting my job. But it's stable, but it's secure. What are you going to do? I don't know. I'm All I'm telling you is that that's what I really want to do. Maybe I will have a two-month break, think this is the worst thing on this earth, and go straight back into teaching. That could have happened. That could have been a reality. The point was I needed to quit. I wanted to give more time and energy to the business, and that was my driving motivating factor. I didn't know what was going to happen with money. It was a bit scary, but it was an experience. And I talk about that in last week's episode as well. But, you know, I feel encouraged and I feel full of spirit and life even though my wage must be if I've really sat and worked it out must be half what it was my life is still full of fun and laughter and I don't feel that it's compromised whereas I had more financial security and more of it in general to do things when I was in a full-time job but I felt that that compromised my life too far teaching's a wonderful job it's incredibly rewarding but it's also bloody hard work And it's not a bad wage. The strikes say different. It's not the wage, really. It's the overtime element of teaching, right? So if you had the money and you genuinely did just get into school nine to three and that was what you worked or even the equivalent of a nine to five, so like uh, eight till four, which is is pretty much what teachers do, right? That would probably be okay. The issue is, is that it's not the case. Okay, you could be like, I oh, get 13 weeks. I used to get it at half seven and I wouldn't often leave before half four, if not five. And sometimes we would be the last ones in the building or the last couple of cars left at times. You've got parents evenings, you've got all the marking, all the planning at weekends. So those 13 weeks off a year, so take off four because everyone's entitled to four weeks. So you get an extra nine weeks off a year. But I can tell you most teachers are working at least some weekends and very much some most evenings getting lessons ready. It's just a reality. And I felt all of that time wasn't the money. It was the compromise of my energy. All of my energy and focus was on school, was on lessons, was on the kids. And rightly so. But there came a point when I went, I don't want to do this anymore. Not in this intensity. That's when I decided to quit. And it was hard because it was in the middle of a year. It was in the middle of a year, the last year for a year group I was the head of. And it did. It felt awful of like, I'm leaving these guys here. Same time, I knew there was a team. A team. It wasn't just me. It doesn't rely just on me. I knew the children would be okay. And my form, particular members of it, would have been devastated. Thank you, cards. I had probably expressed that. But they're okay. And they've been okay. And They've been okay even with not without having me there and I've been okay moving on from that. But you feel it's hard to do it even when I knew it was what was right for me. And the kids, some of them would be like, why are you leaving? Why are you doing this to us? You can't do it to us. We've got to do our GCSEs. We've got to do our maths. It's hard. And it is that guilt tripping part. It's that people pleasing. They don't want me to go because I've been helpful, supportive, whatever it might be. But I knew it was the right time for me. But it takes a big leap to do it. Scary. Didn't know what was going to happen. I had backup plans. The big backup at all times is go back into teaching maths. It would compromise my life. But if this whole living situation and cost of living thing continues to get out of hand, I may not have a choice. 
hey, I might be lucky enough to do part-time mixed with the business. If the business continues to make money and increases its money, maybe. But I don't try and live in a compromised way. As I say, it's resource-based. You can't just do things. But it is trying to look at things in a particular way. I know some of you struggle with the idea around not having children. You're getting older. That relationship hasn't turned up. And you're finding the, the challenge of, but I don't have children and I'm worried about my body clock starting to creep in. So this is one of the ones that's difficult because, well, how do I not compromise if I want a child, but I haven't met that person yet? Well, it's not a compromise because you're not making it, you're not making that happen. You're not making a decision that changes that. The only decision is, is well, the, I mean, if we go real deep, it's you, if you wanted a baby that much, you would have a baby with anyone or you do it on your own. But I believe that there is something there that is not that you just want a child, you want a whole family. So what we're saying there is not to compromise on the fact that you're just going to create a family by getting into any relationship. You aren't going to compromise yourself. You are just going to wait. And unfortunately, we'll have to accept if the world and fate does not pan out to bringing you someone in time for your body clock to be ready, that you'll have to come up with another way of creating a family. But in the meantime, it's the element of, okay, I haven't met that person yet. That's not something that I can make happen because I am not going to compromise on my standards for a relationship and what I want to build in order to have a family life. But that doesn't mean I can't get involved in family life now with the families my friends are creating, with the families that are an extension of my current family, you know, my niece and nephews, if you have them, anyone that you're made a godparent to, any friend that's having children and will want help. They might not ask for it overtly. They might not say they need it because they want to look like they're doing okay. But the more that you become annoyingly helpful, the more they'll take you up on it. And I don't think there's parents out there except for those that obviously have a a clear real attachment to their child and they have worries about leaving them. Most parents will want at some point some extra baby care for when they want to go out on a date or when they want to go away for a night and they want to build up being able to trust you to have a baby. They need a few people to do that or when one of them's ill one day. I've always said to my cousins, bless their souls, they've got a little one. I said, if you ever need someone, I I do work a couple of days a week, but I do have flexibility. I I haven't spent much time with your baby, but if you needed it and no one else could get there, see if I'm around. It's worth a shout, you know? And there is that element to it as well, being helpful. It's not about compromising myself, but stand up for what you want, especially in dating. It's going to be one of the clearest messages in the Get Back to Dating program is that we have our set of standards and we don't deviate from it. There are some that you do deviate from, but there are others, the non, the real true non-negotiables that you don't compromise on. That is okay because you want a high quality relationship in that instance. You need a high quality person to do that with you that's willing to work on stuff. And we're going to wait for that. We're not going to compromise on what you really want from life just because everyone's badgering you about getting into a relationship. And lastly, the final thing that I've really learned is that only you can expand your comfort zone. This one really hits home. And it Reminds me of a conversation that was being had between, as ever, Stephen Bartlett and Simon Sinek on the Diary of a CEO podcast. And Stephen was telling a story of how he tried to help a friend, had really offered quite a lot of things to him, and the friend just didn't do it and came back later and asked again for the same things. And Stephen was prepared to help him in the same way again, but still wouldn't. And he was frustrated at this and had asked Simon Sinek, like, do you ever give up on people? And Simon Sinek says... You don't give up on people, but helping someone like that, being a team, it's a two-way sport. You can, uh, it's a two-way sport, but they have to make the moves for themselves. You can pass them the ball, but they have to take the shot. And this 
really resonated to me with only you can expand your comfort zone. Obviously, as a coach, I know I can't make people do things. It's really easy in my coaching sessions to encourage people and to know that it's down to them to do. However, that's not been quite so easy for me to accept in some of my own personal interrelationships that sometimes I can see real clearly (laughs) what someone needs to do. And that person might even echo back or even suggest to me what they're going to do. And I'm like, what a great idea. Sounds like, you know, you'd make real progress doing that or you'd really get to what you want to achieve. And you then check in with them a little bit later and they haven't done it. And it's because they're not ready. Ultimately, we can't make people move at the rate of change that we would or make the same moves that we would because they're not us. Really easy for me to apply when I'm doing it with someone I don't really know. But if I'm involved in something, it feels harder. Of course it does. Because vested interest, wanting someone to do something better for themselves, we can only be as ready as we are ready. We can only be as prepared to do something as we are. And we are the only ones in control of our comfort zone. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. It's literally that one. You could give all the recommendations of all the books in the world. Why do you think sometimes I make all of these videos that there are some people out there that still aren't happy with their single life? Because they don't do the work that I talk about because they don't grab a coach to get them through it and to support them and to keep them accountable because they think they can do it all on their own. And some people can, but some people can't. And people will stay in their comfort zone because it's easier. Because stepping out of your comfort zone is more work. And it's scary because it questions part of yourself. It means changing. It means admitting that we weren't as good as we could have been before, that we weren't up to scratch. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. Our life is about growing, it's about learning, and it's about sitting here and reflecting on these lessons. We all have our own paces to work at, but you can't push someone outside of their comfort zone because if you do, they'll just resist even more. So as a coach, I work with curiosity. I help people to explore their own curiosity around why things are holding them back or where the resistance is coming from. And it does seep into my own life. It's literally the way I approach my own life and my relationships. When I feel I'm getting frustrated at something, I won't go in and say, well, you're not doing this. I'll say, I'm trying to understand. We've spoke about this, but so why are you not? So why? So where's this resistance coming from? What's stopping you from actually doing that? And it, to me, it helps me understand the person better and hopefully helps them understand it too. They might not even realise that they're resisting something. It's who I am as a person now. The skills that I employ to help people, I just naturally want to help the people around me. When appropriate, when it's the right situation, sometimes people just want to vent at you and don't need any support or advice or leading in that way. But as you go into 2023, it's being aware that you are the only one that's responsible for your comfort zone of actually putting the work into it. So with all my coaching programs and all the stuff I do, I support you and guide you to make the realizations for yourself. And in the programs that go on for eight to 12 weeks, there's mentoring and teaching in there too. I literally teach you how to do some of those things. But there's always homework. There's always a reflection task. There's always something to do between each session because you have to do the work. You have to take yourself out of your own comfort zone. No one is going to do it for you. And you are the one that has to put one foot out, to start pushing the edge, pushing the boundary so that you can step the other foot into it nice and comfortably. And that comfort zone just continues to get bigger and bigger over time. And that's what we're going to be doing in the Single Life Confidence Programme, in the Back to Dating Programme, in the workshops that are going to be taking place next year and every one-to-one kickstart your single life session that there is. 
If you're interested in any of those, we have the two coaching programs starting at the beginning of January. Our first event workshop takes place in February down in Essex. So head to the Single Girls Club mailing list to join that. Or if the programs are too much and you can't get yourself to Essex, there are always the one-to-one Kickstart Your Single Life sessions that you can book ad hoc whenever you need. And they're a slightly cheaper price, which helps everybody in the cost of living crisis right now. I hope that gets you thinking about what your single life lessons are for 2023. If you have any to add, drop me a DM on Instagram. But I hope this has got your brain ticking and starts getting you to think about how you're going to close the chapter of 2022 and begin your approach to the chapter of 2023. Until next time, everybody, keep celebrating single life together.